Let's approach the throne of grace in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, God, that you speak clearly to us at times. And other times, God, you, you, you challenge us uh, to think about things that maybe we would not have given attention to. We thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, and the, the message of the preacher. And we pray this morning, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you would speak to our wills, that you would give us strength to obey the word that you share with us. Lord, help us to think about our own lives and may you draw us closer to yourself by your Holy Spirit. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. When I was a kid, I used to watch the TV show called Kung Fu. Now, you may or may not be familiar with Kung Fu, but uh, basically Kung Fu was a show that if you took a Western and you married it to a martial arts movie, that's what you would end up was Kung Fu. Okay, and, and Kane who was the main character, he would travel across the Old West in America on foot and he would encounter all these different situations and oftentimes dilemmas. And he would have these flashbacks as he encountered these things in his life of his training as a Shaolin priest and the wise words that his master would say to him. And it was things like this, that if you really want to be strong, then you must be weak. You know, and as a little kid, you think, wow. How profound is that? You know, but it seemed like it was always these words of wisdom from this master that helped Cain to prevail in whatever dilemma he found himself in. And I remember watching these episodes and just thinking, wow, I wish I was wise like that, that I would know what to do in all these situations. Well, there does seem to be an innate desire in all of us to pursue strategies and insights and wisdom to help us make life better and more meaningful. Does it not? I mean, that, that desire to want to improve our situation. And, and I don't mean by that just to become financially richer or be better in our job. Sometimes to improve ourselves might be to have more meaningful relationships with others. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, then just look on social media and all the things that people are seeking advice on and wisdom. You know, everything from home improvement to, you know, how do I make up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend after we had a fight? And there's all these things where people are asking advice. But there's also no end to the voices that are willing to speak into our lives and to tell us exactly how we could make life more meaningful and uh, have more purpose, whether it be advertisers that are trying to sell us the, their latest car, or maybe it's uh, the, the newest weight loss program, or, or maybe it's uh, someone telling you about how you need to invest your money so that not only could your life be satisfying now, but even in your retirement, you could enjoy such a, a great life. Sometimes wisdom comes to us in our upbringing, and I know that for many of us, even from the time that we were young, we have had it beat into our heads to believe that if we're going to have the wisdom we need to face life, then education is the answer. It can save us from all of our ills and place us on the road to happiness, right? 
You've been told to work hard, get into the best schools, study hard, achieve the best results, learn, learn, learn. You know, get up that ladder and go as far as you can. And many young people have done that and they're, they've pursued that dream and now they've graduated from college or graduate school only to discover that not only are they not experiencing that dream, but maybe they can't even find a job. You see, the wisdom of this world assumes that we have within our power the ability to change our lives and to make it into something meaningful. But the picture of the preacher that he paints today in our text is, is quite different. And I want us to see just a, a couple of things as we look at this idea of applying wisdom to life to understand it and to find meaning. And Solomon tells us a couple of things. First of all, that wisdom cannot change our reality. That wisdom cannot change our reality. Uh, look at verse 13. You, you see, he says, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom and all that is done under the sun. We see here his intense quest uh, to, uh, to understand all of life coming from this perspective of wisdom that he has. And of course, we know that Solomon was not just an ordinary man of wisdom, but he had great wisdom. Look at verse 16. He said, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, um, and if this is wisdom, as we, or if this is Solomon as we are proposing, I want you to understand, he's not bragging. He's merely echoing what the Bible says. In, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, God said to Solomon, Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. Now that's quite a reputation. Uh, to, to be said. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34, we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And then skip down a little bit. He says, So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And all people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. And so not only was, was Solomon wise, but others recognized his wisdom. His, his reputation preceded himself. And he was known internationally as someone who was wise. And then turn, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 10. At the end of verse 23 and 24, this is sort of a, a summary statement of Solomon's life. It says, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So he not only was exceedingly wise, but also very wealthy. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. And, and we see an example of that earlier on in this chapter. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we see that Queen Sheba comes to Solomon, that she had heard how wise he was, but she needed to see it for herself. And so look at 1 Kings 10, 2, about the partway through the verse, it says, And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. 
And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Could you imagine that? She was so stunned by his wisdom. As a matter of fact, she goes on and she said, you know, what I was told about you doesn't even be able to cover the half of what I have seen. It is so amazing to see your wisdom and see the application of that wisdom and how you have applied it in the building of your house and the running of your house and how everything looks so smooth. And so Solomon was definitely a man of privilege. He was a man who had at his disposal the ability to look at life from a perspective of wisdom and seek to understand it. And so armed with such advantages and the ambition he had to, to apply his wisdom to understand life, this is the conclusion that he finds in verse 13 and following. And he said, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. That, that's his way of saying, look people, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. And he says, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after wind. And then he says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. You see, Solomon quotes this proverb in verse 15 to point out that even with wisdom and insight, there's nothing that anyone can do to change life in this fallen world. Yes, he can build beautiful houses. Yes, he can organize his life the best way that he can, but he can't straighten out life. So all of our attempts to straighten what is crooked and what is lacking cannot be counted, as he says. All of our attempts, brothers and sisters, to structure life in such a way to give it meaning and purpose is a futile effort. It is, as he says, striving after win in verse 14. Now, maybe the, the way that we might say that today is it's like herding cats. You know, it's almost next to impossible to do that. So, you know, and we, we understand that. We understand that when, when you are seeking to uh, sort of organize your life and you're seeking to understand it and to, to live it in such a way with all the wisdom that you know how to bring some sense of meaning that you just get one thing under control and other things fall apart. That just when you think you know what life should be like and everything, then something else pops up. So thus, life is an unhappy burden for those who are continually trying to change the circumstances of their lives to make it better. And so he says here that we find ourselves busy but unsatisfied. We talked about that last week in verses 4 through 11 about how you know, we see these cycles in nature. You know, where the rain comes, it fills the streams, the streams pour into the oceans, but the oceans are never full. That all the things that we can do, all the efforts that we give, really don't appear to accomplish anything. And it's the same in our life. That life is vain, 
and the shepherding of the wind. In other words, wisdom cannot make our lives happy and it does not solve life's problems. And yet, we oftentimes think that our wisdom can, do we not? That as we encounter situations and problems and dilemmas in our life, that we do like Cain. We try to think back and draw upon our past or the things we know or the things that we've been told that we might try to find some nugget of wisdom there that might help us to deal with the situation, to fix it, and even to make our life more uh, meaningful. But why is it that we can't change reality? Well, the answer is simply Adam's sin and God's curse. That because of Adam's sin, God has cursed creation and the children of man. And life is not as it should be. The life that we live is that of a fallen in a fallen world. And when we witness life under the sun, scarred by suffering and overflowing with oppression, infected with injustice and crawling with crime and traumatized by terrorists, polluted with impurities, we know that this is not just the way that things are supposed to be. On the contrary, it's not what it could have been if there had not been a fall. And so when we see death knocking on the door of a child in a mother's womb, or a five-year-old boy crossing the street on his bike, or a group of teenagers driving home from the prom and being killed, we know that that's not what life is to be like or a newlywed wife with brain cancer, or a father of five leaping in front of a train, or a 90-year-old bachelor in a hospital bed, we know that this is not just the way that things are supposed to be. There was a time when humanity fell into sin and rebellion and against God, and as a result, humanity was cursed. And no amount of wise thinking will be able to change our broken relationship with God and with others and even our creation. But Solomon doesn't just stop there. He, he gives us the insight that not only is wisdom unable to change reality, but it also increases our sorrow, as we see in verses 16 through 18. He says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after when. You see, after Solomon discovers that human wisdom, even his famous wisdom, cannot undo the curse of a sovereign God on humanity, uh, his search continues. Um, but not only does he look for meaning in life through wisdom, but also if you look at verse 17, it says that he sought to look for it through madness and folly, sort of uh, those being one and the same. And we're going to look next week as we continue on in our studies of Ecclesiastes, how Solomon sought for meaning in the folly of pleasure and amusements. But that too was futile. And so with wisdom in one hand and folly in the other, he still could not grasp or he could not see that there was meaning in life, that it was a striving after the wind, as he says again in verse 17. And yet, doesn't that oftentimes see, 
seem to summarize how we oftentimes seek to understand life and to find meaning and purpose, that people either give themselves to, to wisdom and to knowledge and to understanding that they might grow to the point to where they can find that sense of meaning in life, or for some, they just give themselves to the passions of their lust and their desires. Uh, I think, honestly, uh, what, this is exactly why John writes to the, fir- to the church in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, and he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, see, those are the passions that Solomon is talking about, but also, and the pride of life. That pride of, of accomplishing, that pride of seeking wisdom is not from the Father, but is from the world. And oftentimes when life seems meaningless, isn't it typical that we either turn to be more self-controlled, to be more disciplined, and try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try to figure out what life ought to be like, or we seem to give up total control and give in to our passions and our desires. And so many in our world are following the passions of their hearts and seeking to live for the moment not thinking about the big picture that involves eternity in a relationship with God. Uh, one of the, the greatest uh, theological books that, uh, that I've read is, is Calvin and Hobbes. Um, I, I lo- I, you know, not all the theology there is good, but it does oftentimes sort of uh, illustrate well what the Bible teaches. And one day Calvin and Hobbes is having a conversation. And for those that may not know, Hobbes is... Calvin's stuffed tiger who comes to life in his imagination. And so Calvin asks Hobbes, he says, why do you suppose we're here? To which Hobbes replies, because we walked here. And, and no, 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 replies Calvin. I mean, here on earth. And Hobbes replies, well, because earth can support life. No, I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? And again, Hobbes comments, because we were born. Frustrated, Calvin just lowers his head and he says, forget it. To which Hobbes concludes, I will. Thank you. And I think that's oftentimes how people view life. That they don't think through what the meaning is. That so many people go through life like Hobbes, avoiding to answer or even trying to answer Ecclesiastes questions. Even though uh, our world is is filled with many experts, uh, psychologists, sociologists, and anthropologists, zoologists, you know, all these other ologist people, people who study this world, you know, even though we have people like that, oftentimes those those professionals do not stop to observe and to reflect or consider what we're doing here upon this planet. And so we end up with many people in our life unconsciously being escapists, people who are seeking to just be satisfied uh, with the world as they understand it. But Solomon says that wisdom does not give you the freedom to be an escapist. When one's eyes are open to see the world in its fallen condition before God, curse, it only increases one's sorrow. Verse 18 says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Do you remember... What happened to Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, you know what? Wait, before we answer that question, 
Maybe, uh, do you remember why Eve uh, considered giving in to uh, Satan's temptation? Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, Satan comes and he's uh, enticing Eve to eat of the fruit. And verse 6 of chapter 3 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. See, there's that appeal to the passions once again. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, what happened then after that? Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You see, wisdom only increases sorrow because we see our true condition as Adam and Eve did. As they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we see that they could see. We oftentimes uh, say that ignorance is bliss, but the preacher says to us, the awareness of evil is an awful vexation. The more Solomon saw, the more he is pierced by the thorns and the thistles of this fall. And even in this world, we sort of get a sense of that feeling. I mean, think if you would of a heart surgeon who has a patient, maybe that's a child, maybe a young child. And that surgeon realizes that there is nothing he can do to help that young child. That he would love to just put him on the operating table and to open him up and fix his heart. But the problem of this little child is beyond his ability. And all he could do is sit and watch that child's heart grow weaker and weaker and weaker until it stops and that child dies. There's a sense of a heaviness of having the knowledge and seeing the problem and yet having nothing to do with it. So people often think that the accumulation and implementation of, of information, that is of human wisdom, will solve the world's problems. But we know through history and even through our own experience that that is foolishness. But God tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.19, and go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians if you would. 1 Corinthians 1.19. Actually, Paul is quoting Isaiah 29 in this passage. And he is declaring that he will dis- that God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And of course, in the coming of Christ, we learn on the one hand that God does destroy the wisdom of the wise, but on the other hand, he offered true wisdom to those who cling to Jesus and to the cross. Look at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believed. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, in the eyes of the world, Christians are fools. And if you want, go back through this afternoon and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and, and you will see that. But Christians are fools because they no longer follow the wisdom of the world and the way that the world thinks, but the wisdom of God that's, that's from above. And Christ is not only our wisdom in terms of salvation, but if you look down at verse 29 and, and 30, we see that Christ is our wisdom for sanctification as well. And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Uh, the way Paul puts it in Colossians 2, 3, he describes Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ... Uh, is, is our wisdom. Actually, Jesus is the personification of wisdom that we read in the Old Testament. As we read through Proverbs, as we go through Ecclesiastes, and we see these words of wisdom, Jesus is the personification of that wisdom. Uh, um, but brothers and sisters, uh, he also uh, is the one that shows us how we ought to live. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Not only has God given us Christ that we might see the wisdom of God, but then he says in chapter 2, verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that there is no one that understands the mind of God except the Spirit of God. And God has given his children that spirit to indwell them that they might know God, that we might walk in true wisdom even as we walk upon this earth. Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. And so we need to stop trying to make it comfortable. This world will not fit us. We will feel a sense of being out of place all the days of our lives because we are made for a better place. But that doesn't mean that we cannot find meaning and satisfaction even as we walk upon this earth. Because as we do so, we live not by the wisdom of this world that's trying to find meaning and purpose. We know that our meaning and our purpose is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And God has given us Him. He has given us His Spirit that we might walk in wisdom. And as we walk in that wisdom, not as the world, we find true meaning and we find true purpose. And so as we come this morning, let me ask you, 
Where is your heart set? Is your heart set upon the wisdom of this world? Or is it set upon the wisdom of God? Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 3. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. You see... Just because God has given us His Spirit doesn't mean that we walk according to that Spirit. And Paul goes on to talk about the Corinthians and he says, You guys are fighting and you are bickering with one another to show that you are walking not in that wisdom. Where are you walking this morning? Where is your hope? Where is your mindset? Is it upon the wisdom that God gives? He desires that we do so that we might have a sense of satisfaction even in a fallen world as we walk with Him and that the glory of God would be the focus of our lives. Let's take just a moment this morning and meditate upon the word that's preached to us today. Our Heavenly Father, give us that true and that heavenly wisdom that wisdom that is from above, that wisdom that is found only in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us to seek the meaning of life there at the cross, at Christ, and not here under the sun apart from you. Give us the grace, God, to believe your word. Lord, we thank you and we give praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen.